You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the GGTMC. Yes. I, I'm not Large William, and you are not the Samurai. I'm not. It's the MWC for the GGTMC. That's right. Whoa. It is. Cat and Scott for Married with Clickers. Coming at your ear holes, right? <laughs> so they're usually across the border from each other. Will's right near us here in the greater Toronto area in uh, Rick's down the Bluegrass State. But uh, Sammy and Will had some scheduling issues this week. And uh, we've uh, come into pinch hit. <laughs> Got your predictions on how the show will go. We promised them some content. Will we give them content? Content, yes. <laughs> all we can promise. Entertainment, not sure. We'll, we will see. You may not be entertained. You may not come out of this feeling smarter, but you'll get content. So uh, tonight we will actually be discussing Only Lovers Left Alive. Um, and the, the main reason being, as I was chatting with uh, Will and uh, Sammy this afternoon... And we agreed to do this. This show has been hours in the planning. Uh, it happened to be the film we watched last night. Yes. So I hopefully I can recall it. Hopefully. <laughs> it's the one um, with the long hair. Yeah. Kind of vampiric. Is that the word vampiric? I think it should be. That is a really good word. I've read it, but I've never said it out loud. Mm-hmm. It is cool. So uh, we actually have a show called Married with Clickers. Some people may listen to us. Some may not. Um, I've been lucky enough to be on uh, GGTMC with the boys before, but this is really your first time. Yes, my and, inaugural visit. Yeah, it's a real treat uh, for us to be able to do this because they've been very instrumental in, in getting our show up and running. Yes, and, I remember having a phone call with Will. It was related to some catastrophe in our house. I think it was a plumbing catastrophe. Yes. And he was very soothing, and he he just really encouraged me to stick with the podcast. And I, nice. I will always remember that conversation. Will you? Because your pleading and begging wasn't really working, no. but Will was far more convincing. He has got the charm. You're saying I like the charm. <laughs> That's right. That Smith charm. Yeah, so you know, over the years, they've become great pals of ours, and uh, so we're very, very happy to be able to help them out, whatever help this might be. 
Right. And they've been instrumental in getting us, you know, to know lots of other people. We've had the great fortune to meet people in the, here in Toronto and New York and L.A. Exactly. All through them. So they, they are great, great people. So us, Kat, we are married, as the show might tell you. Yes. And we have been married for 13 years now. Uh-huh. Right? 13 and a half. Lucky 13. Even. Is that a good one? Sure. So we're boring, boring married people live here in Toronto. A couple of lovely kids. We watch movies when we can and chat about them. We try to put out a show about once a week. Right? It doesn't always work out. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of uh, being a bit generous, but well, we try. I don't know. We end up with about 50 shows every year. That's the way it works. That's not too bad. And we cover just about everything, right? Yes. Some horror, some drama, some bad movies, some good movies, a bit of everything. Your views on our show, you're still enjoying doing it. We've just celebrated four years. Yeah, I am. All right. Good, yeah. good, good. Now, one thing I want to move into, Kat, before we get into our review, we're going to chat about a couple topics. We recently did a show on our top 10 films we first discovered in 2014. Yes. Now, the gentlemen do a superstar show of this. They do like top 30. They bring a lot of friends on to chat with them. We're not quite that ambitious. I wonder if I would find it easier to do 30. Sometimes 10, you can feel a bit confined by that number. Right. That's the best so, of the best, though. Yeah. Your 30 might be not the best. No, that's true. These guys also all watch about 500,000 That's right. So they have like a large repertoire to pull from. But if you want to do top 30, I'm willing to give it I'm a go. I'm sure you would love that. <laughs> that would be a long show. It would be. We could split it out over two parts. Yeah. Top 15, bottom 15. We'll yeah. try it next year. Maybe we'll expand to top 11 next year. And we'll just see how it goes from that. All right. But I thought it would be fun for us. We just did our show on that last week, but it might be fun for us just to throw a few examples of what made our list. Yeah. I mean, it was fairly eclectic, I yeah. think. Um, I'm just going to pick a few standouts, maybe right. three standouts. Okay. Um, you love film noir, and you've really gotten me into it. Mm-hmm. So I think I had maybe two film noirs on my top ten list, but one that I will talk about now is from 1943, and it's The Seventh Victim. And it's about a woman who's investigating the disappearance of her sister. Yes. Who's gotten embroiled with a satanic cult. So the subject matter for me is just interesting. But I think what was so um, interesting and enjoyable to me was the shadowy camera work. It's beautiful. It's just really beautifully shot. I think it is a great pick. I love that movie so much, The Seventh Victim. It's so short. It's pacey. It's so well shot. That scene in the subway. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. Great ending. Yeah. Just a lot. A lot in that short little film. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have it as part of that Val Luton film collection that came out maybe 10 years ago or so. TCM, God bless them, show these Val Luton films a lot. So it's pretty easy for people to track down. But that Mm -hmm. is a good pick. Yeah, one I had on there is is one we watched and we covered on the show. It's Mildred Pierce. Right. The original Michael Curtiz version. We had this sort of the year of Mildred recently. We, we really did. The Todd Haynes miniseries with Kate Winslet. We've both read the book, mm-hmm. James M. Cain's book, and watched this film. The film's very different from the book. Instead of a seven-part miniseries, they cram everything into 90 minutes. There's this really different framing sequence with that with a crime I'll say yep. a little bit more action in there then too but yeah. man I loved it and Joan Crawford was so damn good and same with Anne Belay yeah. as Vita 
Yeah, the atmosphere and yeah, just the sinister nature of Vita. It was yeah, it was really really well done, and I liked the whole crime element. I think that was a good addition. Yeah, yeah, yeah very different, but but very good. And, and and the miniseries was terrific too. But this one just gets a lot more more done in a much shorter amount of time. So another one I'm going to talk about is Targets from 1968. Nice. Um, Starring Boris Karloff. And in my mind, he really can't do anything wrong. I mean, he's just so amazing. Um, I guess what I find so impressive with this film is it was done on a budget. Mm -hmm. um, And it was, I guess, the directorial debut, right? Of Peter Bogdanovich? Yes. And he wrote and directed. And um, and acted. And acted in it. Um, and I guess I'd describe it as a little bit of a slow burn, but certainly um, a lot of suspense, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just think it was really interesting. Some beautiful shots. Yeah, L.A. in 66 or 67. Yeah. A lot of car stuff, a lot of car culture driving around. Yeah. Pretty easy to buy weapons back then. Yeah, and, and it's, a, you know, it's a relevant subject today, too. Obviously. Oh, yeah. You've got time. a sniper and... Uh, yeah. I think controversial at the time because, you know, I think you talked about this a bit before. It was based a bit on that University of Texas shooting. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King were killed right around this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these issues don't go away. Yeah. Uh, this still packs a punch. It's terrific. And uh, remember that scene when Bogdanovich was drunk? Yeah. Not the best drunk. No. <laughs> But it's also blending two characters' lives too, right? Yeah. Because it's really um, Karloff playing himself mm-hmm. as like an aging actor, and uh, yep. some of the struggles with that, and then obviously this ex-Vietnam. Uh, yeah, that, that guy. I don't think he was ever in much else. Guy. Pardon me. He, I don't think he was ever in much else. That sort of no. all-American boy-looking guy. Yeah. But Targets is definitely a good one, and um, I think the DVD was out of print for a long time. I managed to find a used version of it, but again, it shows on TCM every now and then. But I think it's a movie that deserves sort of the criterion treatment. You know, yeah. there's great stories behind it. Bogdanovich is a good storyteller. Get the comment. I mean, there's commentaries with him. There's a, there's a good background here. Get Roger Corman to ch- chat while he's still alive. Sure. I mean, so. even just um, the clever use of the terror, Jack Nicholson's. Yeah. Um, film well it was a corman film so you know in terms of budgetary constraints yeah. they they used i think it was almost like 15 20 minutes of, of the film as you the feel background. like you've seen the terror you feel yeah exactly it looks actually quite good i'd watch yeah. that um so i like that clever use of um materials when you're dealing with a budget i love that like necessity is really the mother of invention right? yeah they had some creative ways around it yeah i'm glad you like targets um so we covered that on our show as well um Another one I really liked, and we both included on our list at slightly different spots, and it's not as classy as these one, is a movie called Fair Game. Yes. A.K.A. Mamba. So good. Which is really the basis of it is Trudy Styler, Sting's wife, is in the late 80s, and she's trapped in an apartment, and evil Greg Henry has um, sent a poisonous mamba snake in to terrorize her. It's just brilliant. And she runs around in her underwear for 90 minutes while we get a lot of snake point of view. <laughs> yes, that's right. On her behind. Yeah. Yeah, she throws her panties at it at one point. Builds a pillow fort. <laughs> pillow fort doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so good. Just good, good, dumb, dumb fun. Mm-hmm. Huge fan of Fair Game Mamba. Yes. Uh, 
I'm going to also put our number one pick, which... Let's talk about it together. Funnily enough, oddly enough, we tend to agree on things, so it makes things really boring on our podcast. But we both picked the same number one, which was Naked Prey. I don't even remember when it was done. I think it was, say, 66. Cornell Wilde directed, starred in it, produced it. I mean, I just think that's so ballsy a move to begin with. Well, especially because he's... Maybe showing those off. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, this is—it's a survival film. The entire film is really just a chase sequence. Yeah. Um, but it keeps you interested. It's about a man who is in South Africa taking a safari group out. They come across some natives. Things do not go well, and he's left to sort of—I don't know—be tracked, tr- hunted by these natives, basically. Right. You've got to keep running, Cornell. Yeah. yeah. He is the naked prey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fascinating film. Cornell Wilde's a guy who, I think we talked about this a bit, some people don't think he's much of an actor, but he's in so many great films we've seen. Mm-hmm. Lever to Heaven, Big Combo, great guy. I'd always seen this one, Yeah, co- there's a comic book version of it from the 60s. I, I don't own it, but I've always seen the cover, and it's always just intrigued me. Right. And for the longest time, I would just see this cover and think it was a bearded or- Ernest Borgnine. Okay. <laughs> you know, from a distance, I didn't really yeah. know who Cornell Wilde was. I was like, oh, it's a weird Borgnine movie with him running in a loincloth. Yeah. Uh, but it's got a great National Geographic vibe. Sure. The music's cool. Uh, it's just so well shot. But what really got both of our attention is, right at the outset was the terrible torture being Yeah, used. the raw violence in this film. I mean, it's, it's memorable. It sort yeah. of leaves an indelible impression on you, I think. Considering it's almost 50 years old now, yeah. it works very, very well. Yeah, it's just, you know, we didn't we do these lists and never chat about them ahead of time, and boom. Wasn't that funny? Yeah, and I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't accuse him of being a bad actor in this film. No, it's great. Great. So, yeah, I think if people haven't seen Naked Prey, um, it's definitely one um, to watch for. And I, a lot of people that listen to The Gentleman, that's the kind of film they like. High adrenaline, sweaty men, perfect. Yes. and um, <laughs> Spear throwing, all good. And I still maintain that it should be there should be a remake with Michael Fassbender. So yes, there we go. You think they should make remake every movie with Michael Fassbender? Mm, hey, just the ones where they're loincloths <laughs> or none. Drop <laughs> right. the cloth, boy. There you go. Okay, one thing uh, I thought we could chat about a bit too is this came up in the GGTMC Facebook group last year, and I thought it was a really interesting idea. It was almost. And I have to do this with my HR department at my job is setting your goals right. for tw- the next year. So cinematic goals or cinematic resolutions Ooh. for 2015. I How thought, lofty. I know. Well, like, What would you like to accomplish in 2015 vis-a-vis oh, the film world? Hmm. Oh, well, since we're on Michael Fassbender, yes. <laughs> all are, roads are lead <laughs> to Michael Fassbender. Your dream, get on. My number one thing is get on Michael Fassbender. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, I, how about a gala premiere with Michael Fassbender at TIFF? Yes. Uh, I think he's in some Terrence Malick film, maybe? Is oh, I wouldn't it? I doubt it. Yeah, yeah, so that's going to be a TIFF, right? Yeah, I've always, you know, we see a few films at TIFF every year, and you know, we've always, I've always thought, I want to get us, you know, tickets to one of the glitzier things, just so we yeah. can at least see what that's like. And I can never get tickets to any of the good ones. I know. You and know, I, I don't or, feel the pressure. Because or I think you, I've got tickets to one, but it's actually the third showing of something right. when no stars there. I know. It's a really convoluted process. Yeah, it is. It's, TIFF, 
ticket it's buying. Hard. And, you know, we really go for just the films, Kathleen. That's right. It's not really for Michael Fassbender. But every now and then. But if you're going to do a red carpet, it might as well be when M. Fass is there. For sure. Fassie, apparently. Fassie? He goes by Fassie. Bob Fassie? I don't know. <laughs> That's terrible. I know. It's, I, it's, That's he so lost English. Some, he lost some points I for Fassie. I thought he was like Irish-German, but that is so English. Sorry yes. to the gentleman's English listeners. He probably, you know, eats his bickies. And <laughs> it's called Fassie. Okay. What's yours? Uh, yeah, I've got one here. We have a local repertory theater mm-hmm. that almost went under about 10 years ago. Yeah. We were part of the Save the Review of group, we're saying we love having this theater there, and I don't think we set foot in there in 2014. I know, and you one know what? One of my resolutions is, and one of the reasons I thought of covering, the, wanting to watch this film, was I remember walking by the review in the summer, and they had only Lovers Left Alive playing, and I thought we should go do that, and we didn't do it, and I feel terrible because this place will go out of business at some point, and I haven't been spending enough money there, so I want to spend some time and money at the Review Cinema this year. Mm, I was asked to help paint it, and I was too busy. Were you? Yeah. And also, I'm a horrible painter. That would definitely drive it down. It's a dark in theaters. I don't I know, know why they're so fussed about the Well, they are trying to make some significant improvements in the interior with the lighting and stuff. Because, you know, you could probably get mugged in the foyer there, in yeah. the lobby of it. So it, It's a hundred-year-old theater here, <laughs> yeah. but it's not one of these grand dame theaters. Yeah, it was it's like a, a little rough. One. Like that one, remember that time I was in that seat and if I leaned back, I was in the person's popcorn behind me. <laughs> exactly. But I do want to support the review cinema this year. Okay. That's one of mine. So my, my another resolution for me, which is fairly similar, and I, I like the review idea, is just to get out to the theater more. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an enjoyable experience. It's it a is. very different experience because I do like to see the audience reaction as long as they're not talking too much. Yeah. And we end up, I, I would say, disproportionately, we end up seeing movies with our kids in the theater. Yeah. So it would be nice for us to see some things without kids. Like, I think Gone Girl was the last one the two of us went to together. Yeah. And before that, it was a long stretch. Yeah, and, and I'm happy to have seen kids. that in the big screen. But it's nice for, like, we always have a nice time. We'll go to a TIFF screening. Right. Or even yeah. for the festival itself. Mm-hmm. See, I agree. More of that stuff. You know what? If you want to, let's skip work, do some matinees, all that fun stuff. Okay. All right. I, one thing I want to do is see some Akira Kurosawa films. Okay. Maybe cover one or two on the show. Japanese cinema is something I don't know that much about, and Kurosawa is the man, and big blind spot for me. Okay. Um, so I'm thinking at least one Kurosawa film this year, and the one I'm leaning towards is Throne of Blood, which is based on Macbeth. Oh, wow. That sounds great. Yeah. So that's one of mine. Okay. I want to get smarter. Sure. Um, I'm going to say more documentaries. All right. I tend to watch documentaries and really enjoy them and feel that I've learned something. And um, I, I don't think that they're easy to cover in a podcast. So yeah, this is just for tried. pure watching pleasure, not necessarily for us to cover, but just to be educated on different subject matters and, yeah. and, and areas that I don't know anything about. Right. Like we've watched one on ballet uh, I you know I didn't do any ballet as a child, but it was very fascinating. Yep. I mean, obviously, Jodorowsky's Dune, Dune was very interesting for me too. So yeah, yeah. They they say like a great documentary is one that makes you care about something you don't know about or don't yeah. pre- didn't previously care about. Or, right. So that's great. I agree. And the one thing I would say Netflix really excels at, and maybe because it's cheaper to acquire these films, is documentaries. Yeah, and I think they can be really enriching. So yeah. Okay, that's a good one. 
my last one I'm going to mention, my last sort of resolution and maybe revolution for 2015, (laughs) Canadian films. Oh. I've been so unpatriotic. I know. I mean, I'm a terrible human being. Yes. What we have on our show, 200 films, 200 shows in, we've never covered a Canadian film. I mean, like the changeling with George C. Scott. Technically, that's Canadian. But I mean, like Canadian, Canadian, like. Annie Green Gables level Canadian. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would do that. I know you would. <laughs> Maybe the Gray Fox. I don't know. But yeah. Some I want to support Canadian films more. Okay. Because I've been crappy at that. Yeah. That's it. Good. Are we done with that? Yes. We're done. Ready to move right into it? Yes. I know. Yes. They may want us to take a break or not, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> but so we'll just run. Okay. We'll just go. We're just here for the content. Only Lovers Left Alive came out this year. It played at TIFF in 2013. Pretty widely acclaimed. Um, Jim Jarmusch is a director. I don't think either of us are going to sit here and pretend we're Jim Jarmusch experts. No. Did we, saw, did we see Broken Flowers? Broken Flowers yeah. with Bill Murray. He so. really made his mark in the early 80s with some independent films. I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on those. You may not remember this, but in our old house before children, I was sick one day. You went out to our local video store, The Film Buff, which is luckily still alive, and came home with a Western, which I love, with Johnny Depp, who I love, with the score done by Neil Young, whom I love. Wow, you have such a great wife. It was like wife of the year move. Yeah. The movie was called Dead Man. Yes. And I had to turn it off. Yeah. People love this film, and I just could not. Maybe I was too sick or whatever. I, it was just too trippy, too weird, too non-narrative for me at the time. So that was my last, you know, I, so I wouldn't describe myself as a Jim Jarmusch super fan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd heard such good things about this film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, yeah, let's check it out. So the, the, the synopsis from IMDb is a depressed musician reunites with his lover, uh, through, though their romance, which has already endured several centuries, is disrupted by the arrival of an uncontrollable younger sister. I think you can read into that. Somehow they're vampires. I don't know why they don't get that in the synopsis. Yeah, yeah that's they, right. They're not just old Oh, people. and by the way, they're, yeah, it's not just about two and old And I mean, that's fogies. not spoiling anything. I know they don't spoil much on the GGTMC, but you know, anyone that knows anything about this film knows it's really about vampire lovers. Got Tom Hiddleston in there. Um as Adam, Tilda Swinton, the great Tilda Swinton, as Eve, Adam and Eve, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it. Mia Vashkowska, I think that's how you say it. Did I do okay on that? I'm just going to call her Mia W. Mia W. Uh, John Hurt, which we were joking about. It's funny that with Snowpiercer, Tilda and John Hurt got together a couple times last year. Yes. Small roles by Jeffrey Wright and Anton Yelchin in there as well. Um, so a really, really solid cast. Definitely. Um, Jarmusch wrote it and directed it. But cat vampires. Oh, my goodness. They're everywhere. We've got Twilights. We've got True Bloods. we got Vampire yeah. Diaries. We had the Vampire Academy. Remember that terrible uh, movie? Yeah. yeah. Talking about turning a movie off no, halfway right. through it. Oh, my we goodness. We had to, didn't we? How do you get around vampire fatigue? What's the trick? I, I I, think- I'll tell you one movie that did it for us. Let the right one in. Yes, that for one sure. Got around the fatigue, but how yeah. was the trick to getting around vampire fatigue? I think you gotta like 
retcon vampire lore. Oh, yeah. So like Twilight achieved that. You've got the sparkling, good-looking mm-hmm. vampires. It makes it a little bit different from what you know you traditionally would think of with vampires. In this case, like their fashion's different. They wear sunglasses yep. at night. They yeah. should have had Corey Hart's song. That was missing. Too expensive. Too expensive. Corey um, charges way too much. Leather gloves. Yeah, they the drink gloves. blood from crystal glasses. You know, just, and little, just little cherry glasses. Like that. Even. So how civilized. Uh, yeah, so I think you just have to sort of, you know, change sort yeah. of some of the the established vampire right. lore. Ditch, ditch the coffins. <laughs> right? Yeah, you gotta ditch yeah. the coffins and caves. Yeah. Um and then come up with something new. So, the, the, you know, the, this was interesting, if, if only from the aesthetics of it. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so let's, I want to talk about this movie because it really is from the vampire's perspective. And that's actually, when you think about it, relatively rare. Right. Because it's, it's usually from some of the protagonists is often either a vampire hunter or someone who is ultimately seduced by the vampire. Right, sort of right? the victim, I guess. But what do they call them in Twilight? Reg- Reggies? No. Normies? You're thinking normies. That's Monster High. Oh, Monster High. Although I think it's brilliant, and I'll I'll get into normies <laughs> okay. later. So, you know, usually it's told from the normies' perspective. You can tell we have a young daughter, although I'm a huge Monster High fan, too. Mm-hmm. So this is different, right? We're really in the lodge of the vampires here, and really the mundane aspects of sure. their life, right? Yeah. Just... What goes on to existing in the regular world? Yeah, with the zombies they call them. The zombies. What do you think of that? Well, you know, we were talk- talking about this last night. I have problems with them using the word zombie. Of course, to describe normies. Yeah, because you know the word zombie. I'm just. I don't know the first time it was ever used, but I'm trying to think. I walked with a zombie from the 40s. Might be the first time the average American would use the term. Or right. white zombie. White zombie from the 30s. These vampires have been alive for, say, 500, 600 years. Yes. Wouldn't they have come up with a nickname for normies before the, normies the, the term been, zombie yeah. became popular? I know. They just switched nicknames in the 30s? Yeah. And what know. are they trying to get at with that? What do you think like the, the inner meaning to the term zombies to equate that with human beings? Like we're all just brainless and we we're walk just, through. Yeah, we're just walking through life without yeah. a care. Well, as they say... We are the Walking Dead. It's us, Cat. Yeah, I guess so. So at least hmm. they at least they didn't call them the Walking Dead. That'd be even worse. I just thought they'd have a better term than zombies. Yeah. Um, so, but it, it's really about their lives, and you know, it, you probably thought the same thing, but just the aesthetics of it and hanging out with them, it really has a feel like Tony Scott's The Hunger. Yes, for sure. Which we covered on the Married with Clickers back in episode something something. Right. Check it out. Mm-hmm. But did you get that hunger feel too? Yeah, definitely. Um, Although, I mean, I think it's like Vampires with Hobbies. That's what I think would be a better <laughs> title, actually. That would be a good one. <laughs> Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. Uh, hobbies with the Vampires. Yeah. Wow. That would be a good title. Although they didn't take up knitting, which they probably <laughs> no. should. That was probably the next century. They'd like she start was... like doing uh, knitting and crocheting. and. That would have been awesome if Tilda was like on the airplane when he's snoozing and she's working on like some uh, Cross stitch or something. <laughs> Love it. So, you're right. It is all about, all about vampires and their hobbies. Because when yeah. you live a long time, you have to develop some hobbies. I mean, you would just be lying there on a couch with comics everywhere, right? That's right. <laughs> That'd be you, right? That Smelling would be them you. and trying to touch them and tell how we'll figure out how old they are yeah. just by holding them. Wouldn't you love that? 
Right. And I'll be like, I met Jack Kirby. Oops, I said too much. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but so- and then Stan Lee would come in for his like little cameo. Yeah. It would be great. And he'd be like, don't call me Stan Lee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. Well, he's not dead yet. I know. Yet. Uh, uh, one of these days, Kat. So it's, you know, we're with the vampires. I almost called them zombies. We're with the vampires. They're in a sympathetic light. Their background, you know, we... Vampire movies, werewolf movies, it's all about the rules, right? How do they live? What are the rules with these ones? What's the deal with garlic? Yeah. Very slowly we get some background on these folks, how old they are, the history they've lived through. Is that done well? Should have been a bit more info? Um, it's done in a very sort of pseudo-intellectual way, I think. You know, there's references, for example, their buddy vampire, John Hurt's character. His name's Marlowe. You know, he's Christopher Marlowe. So, you know, playwright during Shakespearean time. So there's like references to the fact that I guess he might have written a lot of Shakespeare's plays. Yeah. um, So I feel that some of that stuff and then like little, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other sort of historic references, but it's... Oh, um, one was with the guitar, what I was joking about with the comics was he said, I saw Eddie Cochran play this guitar on stage once. Right. Right. So little things like that. So, I mean, I feel like some people would watch this like guitar aficionados and they would just be in heaven with some of those scenes and make people that feel that they're well read would really... You know, oh, I know. I'm on the inside, and I feel that right. there's. Do you, do, you, do you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, Mary Shelley, someone else they brought up. Yeah, too. yeah. I know what you're saying, and some of the negative reviews I was reading said this stuff was just too perfect and too cute. Yeah, but to a degree, at least they didn't say I knew Elvis. It was Eddie Cochran, or like right. You know, Christopher Marlowe is slightly more obscure, nuanced, I but guess. then that's pseudo intellectual. That's saying. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can see your point for sure. Um, I, I do like sometimes if they have lived through the times they to talk about at least the eras. You know, they they mention the bubonic plague and stuff like that's interesting because you're carrying this weight of history on your shoulders. Sure. So the name dropping maybe not so much, but I do like them referencing their past. Yeah, and I certainly liked with um, Swindon's character her accumulation of knowledge. That right. at one point she's reading some novels and she's just like whipping through them with vampire speed, but it's in many you know, Arabic yeah. and um, you know Chinese, all these different languages. And, yeah. and you know, I thought that was clever because obviously, if you've been around for so long. You've got to have a hobby. You need a hobby or two. And, Vampire uh, hobbies by Jim up, Jarmusch. Pick up some some languages along the way. Yeah. They live separately. Yes. One's in Detroit. One is in Tangier. Tangier. Yeah. Tangier is Tangier. how I would refer to it. Okay. Tangier. Tangier, Tangier. Tangier. That's what I used to say. Well, Detroit should actually be Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> right? It was settled by the French. Right. So Detroit et Tangier. Oui. We don't really get an explanation of why they're living separately. I initially thought it was just a blood supply thing. Right. When we were discussing it right afterwards last night, you were asking, you know, you're raising some points of some of this stuff. The background information isn't just about, I want to know more facts, but a bit about more getting to know the characters a bit better. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're essentially husband and wife. Yeah. So... Any person watching this would be curious as to why they're on different sides of the globe. Yeah. And I think Jarmusch is probably, you know, intentionally vague on this. 
But I, I get like that can get a bit frustrating because I think it can be fulfilling to add in some of the details, not all of them, but yeah, I don't think it adds an interesting element having them separate, except yeah. to explain the difficulty in travel. Oh yeah. So that was unique. And they kind of hit you over the head with that a little bit. Sure. I need to travel at night and yeah. only night. And we did. We, you and I, were debating if that's actually possible to stay to do in a these plane over, overseas travel and, and never have daylight. Yeah. I'm not sure. There might be some sparkling at some point. <laughs> that's right. Um, and you, most vampire movies, at some point, at least have someone get slightly burned by the sun. They never really did that. I like the slightly burned by the sun scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about the plot because there really isn't that much of one. The synopsis really said it. They're basically just coexisting. Um, a sister shows up. And their lives are turned upside down. Yeah. There's one aspect to this film, and it's not a spoiler to mention it because it's brought up very early, but the Tom Hiddleston's vampire, Adam, is seems depressed and slightly suicidal. Yeah. Um, that, I don't think, really ends up being very fully addressed. No. It sort of gets dropped at some point. Right. Maybe it was just Eve's arrival. I don't know what, but... Some things like that were just loose threads. And, and dropped abruptly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a bit much, especially in a film that doesn't have that much plot. Granted, this one is based more on characters and visuals, and that's all right. fine and dandy. But could you have used a bit more plot? Maybe not in terms of we need vampire hunting going on, but more at the very least more character arc? Well, particularly when it's like only lovers left alive, you know, it's really about their relationship. So I think that there's a need to explore that relationship. I read somewhere that it was um, before sunset with vampires. Someone described it as that, (sighs) which isn't really (laughs) a compliment. Well, I mean, it's a good, I mean, it's a good, there are good movies, but it just sort of, um, I think it was said a little facetiously. Yeah. But I think if you are looking at it as a love story, which I think there is that element to this film, yeah. um, I'd like to know a little bit more about their... Maybe when they were had a, few, a separation. Like, was it a separation because right. they'd been together for 400 years? Could you imagine that being seems, married to me for 400 exactly. years? Exactly. So maybe that's why she was in Morocco. <laughs> that would, you would be further than Morocco, <laughs> Kat. Like, oh, man. How many time zones can I get away from this guy? Yeah. She's like... Do not leave the seat up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, crazy. So, yeah, I I think I could have used a bit more plot. There was a scene where she said, oh, it's a full moon. And I thought, oh, are werewolves coming? Yeah, it's because you were hoping for it. And this is the problem with films that are vampire films is you do have – it's hard to erase the history of vampire lore, right? right? So you're always thinking like – even the you know, he was obtaining a bullet at one point. I don't don't know. I always thought it was just a stake. Yeah, it's got to be something wooden through your heart, maybe. Yeah, but he still had the metal around it, so how it, I guess... You yeah, needed okay, the metal so for the casing. The casing and then but the But the actual bullet itself would got be it. some sort of hardwood. Yeah, okay. I Not, guess that's consistent then. Yeah. So, Tanger, Détroit. Yes. We use these places. Two very different cities. Uh, Tanger is this ancient city in Morocco. Detroit is a decaying modern city in the States. Mm-hmm. You've been to Tanger. I have. I've been through Detroit, too. And so you've walked around uh, Tanger, Tangiers, yes. as a woman. Tilda does it here. 
Yeah. Were you harassed more or less than she is? Probably in- slightly more. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, honestly, people do say, backpackers would say, tanger, danger, because yeah. often you'd come from Spain on, yep. on via boat crossing the Mediterranean, and you arrive there and you're instantly harassed. I mean, I don't know how, what other word to use to describe it. Just, uh, you know, for dope, for hotels for rides for they want to sell you carpets and it's just their business right it's just the and yet fresh way. blood not yeah i know it's really hard for me to find fresh blood there actually i had a lot of mint tea <laughs> damn yeah but wow. it is beautiful but it's actually not the most beautiful it's it's actually you know it's a port city it's yeah. rough and ready it's actually very dark and seedy yeah and it is sort of the underbelly of morocco right. so in in that sense it's actually quite similar to detroit yeah so i feel like you know we're seeing these people live a long long time and we've got this ancient decaying city this modern decaying city and they're able to just hide in those places yes like like dracula in his castle mm-hmm. you know you're you're trying to cut yourself off and you're on the outskirts of civilization i did really like that a lot in you know really living off the grid yeah definitely he I mean he essentially has his own generator yeah you know, he's really in hiding in plain sight right um she probably less so but maybe she's less suspicious looking because no one thinks a vampire woman's gonna get you no i mean and she's interesting because she does have uh, a lot of interactions with the normies zombies yeah yeah uh, yeah and, and he really doesn't he just has this one access person so i thought it was really cool to pick those two places in the way they're shot, it's incredible, right? Yeah, I mean, it's such a beautifully lit film. Yeah. Um, and, and as you said, I think um, they're both decaying. The the narrow uh, Medina of Medinas of uh, Tangier are just so, I mean, they're claustrophobic. Yeah. And you still feel that sort of claustrophobic sense in in detroit too right because it's just everything's sort of imploding right yeah it's just falling around you and even the the police always seem to be around or you feel like anyone could jump out at you at any point yeah and it was funny in detroit how they had sort of wolf sounds around yeah i guess they were just you know feral dogs or something right but it kind of gave that you know, the, the children of the night kind of vibe. Yeah. It. And I almost wonder if he's doing some of these things. Like, is it tongue in cheek when he's doing stuff like that? Some like, of it is. Like, with the Jeffrey Wright character, uh, you know, he's Dr. Watson. Yeah. And, and, he, and Tom Hiddleston comes in with a fake name tag as Dr. Faust. Right. And then um, he gets referred to as Dr. Caligari later. So there's all right. these little nods and winks that I think are pretty clever. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, there, there's some humor here. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe when we talk about the cast, I, uh, it we'll say why some of it ends up working, because I think they're so strong that the humor comes through. Some of the themes in here, though, I just thought this movie was just about aging. Yeah, and definitely. And living a long, long time. Yeah. Right? And it's funny. We see a picture of them when they were, quote unquote, younger, right. when they're really the same age, but they do look younger. Yeah. And we were discussing why, how have they aged and how do they realize they look different? It's like the stress of what's going on in the environment around them yeah. has aged them. No matter how long you live, the world still takes its toll. Do you yeah. Um, you know, your mind grows weary. And I think that's where really Hiddleston's character is. He's just almost had enough. And I think, you know, another theme with aging 
um, that, I mean, even I experience as a 40 year old is sometimes the difficulty dealing with change. And that's really, I think a theme with his character. He can't accept the change around him. Is that why you think he's very obsessed with older things? Yeah. Like he wants old guitars and he collects lutes. Yeah, I mean, the guy's a total douchebag snoot, let's be honest, right? (laughs) He's such a snob. So, I mean, that's part of it, right? Wouldn't you find that charming? Oh, I do, I do. I mean, mean, like I said, just the way he sips his uh, blood from his crystal, it's so beautiful. But, um, yeah, I think what it's really a reaction to the change. And he's, I mean, if, if you've been alive for 400 years, you've seen a heck of a lot of change. Yeah. You've lived through a lot. But so, he's, he's sort of, he's so fond of the old days, right? And right. The, the traditional ways that things are done. I mean, he, he's constantly referencing these jumbled wires, which is like a metaphor for like how american society is now right yep. it's just messed up screwed up yeah. jumble of wires you know i think and he's driving around detroit pointing out where the greatness used to be yeah and how much you know how much human beings have screwed up things right yeah. so he he's essentially had it where swinton char- swinton's character really seems to own being a vampire like she wants to learn everything and enjoy beauty enjoy the world and she just takes great pride in surviving it seems yes like that's what keeps her going like she loves to survive that's an accomplishment right Hertz character still just seems to like to write yes so that's his sort of muse right yeah. mm-hmm. and Vashikowska's character just seems to like to party yeah like she's still been trying to have a good time for 400 years I don't know how you can keep that up yeah that, that ought to age you a bit well, it would man but you know like you can only go out for dinner so many times before you're like I've had it with going out for dinner right could you imagine partying for 400 years yeah you would grow tired of it you'd grow a bit weary so they all take a slightly different approach and, and I dig that but let's talk you know we were talking about, about that relationship between Swinton and Hiddleston and love um and how imp- I think it really comes down to only lovers left alive is how important it is to have someone to grow old with. Yes. Because you're very alone in the world. Right. And maybe it was his solitaire, solidarity. No, solid, solitary. Yes. Solitary. Solitary life. Yeah. Can you not use solitary as a solidarity type no. word? It doesn't work at yeah. all. Solitary. He's, solitary he's reclusive. Darity? Yeah. He's a solitary reclusive. Yeah. Um, and that may be leading to his suicidal tendencies. But, but it, she it seems when, to 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 cure him of right. that, right? And I guess that's it. He needed her. Yeah. He needed her life affirming personality to bring him out of this depression, right? Right. And, I, I mean, that's all I can assume because there was a turnaround there. Yeah, and upon and her arrival, I agree. And it seems like when they're walking around uh, the Medina together. They're really, really reliant on each other. I'm going to say slinking. Don't they slink Slink. when they walk? They do. She's so um, cat-like, isn't she? Yeah. You know, they really rely on each other. And even John Hurt and his friend, I don't know much about that relationship, but very strong bond. Yeah. Whereas Vashikowska's character, totally on her own, Mm -hmm. pretty rudderless not having the quality of life, but she's obviously desperate to cling to something too, right. but can't handle it. So a lot of this seems to be about relationships and how important they are to us right? as humans, even though they're not human, right? Mm-hmm. You get a junkie vibe. Oh yeah. Getting their, yeah. 
getting the fix. Getting the fix. I mean, just just even the exchange of huge wads of cash right. for the yeah. blood, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a junky move. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I think that's obviously been covered up in vampire films before that sort of feeling, but it's really well done. And they just look like it. They're it's, strung out, right? They're strung out. They look like 80s musicians with their long stringy hair. So strung out looking. I, I want to ask you about the technology stuff. We were talking about Middleston's character mm-hmm. uh, being sort of um, anachronistic with where his technology is. Like she's got the iPhone, but... He's still got wires everywhere and really likes old musical instruments. And his TV looks like it's from the 40s. Even his stethoscope is from 1968. I know, but he was still using video conferencing. Yeah, he was. He somehow managed to video conference her in on that 1970s TV. So is he just a hipster vampire? <laughs> exactly, totally. <laughs> okay. um, I just didn't know what, I guess, is Jarmusch just saying, here's a hipster vampire, or is he trying to say yeah. something more? You <laughs> I know? know. I can't get it, because he's got wires he... around him. She's got an iPhone, but all these dusty old books around her. Yeah. Is it about us as people just clinging to our stuff? Yeah, I think so in a way. Again, you know, your hobbies and your accumulation of things. No, I'm, I'm not the sure. only person with stuff. No, no, I'm just saying in general. I'm yeah, saying yeah. you. I'm saying the, the ones. Yes, ones. Other people have problems too, Kat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and he's timeless, right? I think that's what we're supposed to get from him, right. like his collection of loots and guitar, old guitars. <laughs> One of the world's biggest loot collections. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the, the you know and the vinyl and stuff. So he's just a hipster. Yeah, he's <laughs> now, a total. Hipster. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm seeing. That I just a bit don't better. know why he didn't have a big beard. That's all that That's was right. missing. And a few plaid shirts, and he'd be good to go. Maybe some dark glasses. And they're having like almond milk blood. Yeah. <laughs> so. Casting. It was organic, though. That's the thing. He yeah, really he, needed organic. That's right. They're talking <laughs> about tainted, tainted blood. So. That must have come from Monsanto. Right. Hiddleston, Swinton. Yeah, John Hurt, Mia Wasikowska, Jeffrey mm-hmm. Wright in a small role, mm-hmm. Anton Yelchin, this cast. It's a list. Any weak links there for you? Uh, no, I mean maybe the way the characters were written. Right. Yeah. You're thinking the sister specifically. I am thinking that. I think. Um, I mean, I love Mia W. Yeah. But uh, I think she belonged in another movie. She she would be great <laughs> in Twilight okay. or maybe even Lost Boys. But she was very. I know she was supposed to be the disruption. Yeah. But she everything she did was irritating to me, and I know that she was supposed to be that. So right. she achieved what she was supposed to achieve, but it was just too abrasive and interrupted this sort of. Almost like a music opera, like it was almost yeah. like you know it. Yeah, it it certainly started that way, right? Yeah. It was like a, almost it, had that feeling of an opera, right? And then you know yeah. you've got this massive interruption that even um, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I, I think I know. I get what you're saying because she is supposed to be jarring, mm-hmm. and that's something. And the world gets turned upside down a bit, but then they try to sort of go back to the earlier vibe and maybe it's difficult to return to that earlier tone if you've been so jarred. Yes. And it was maybe too long a process. I don't know. And it's funny you're saying she's a twilighty one because it did feel like that. They're yeah. Like, they just do cool vampires. Like, no, no, we don't want any twilight 
jobs yeah. around here. I mean, she even calls a spade a spade. She refers to them as being snobbish. Right, yeah. And it's that's accurate. But we already know that, so we don't need her to reveal anything else about them. I think mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out her purpose, right? And uh, Right. And I, I guess to show how other vampires live, right? And and but you know if if you're calling other vamp other if you're calling human beings zombies, doesn't she doesn't she fit? Isn't she a zombie vampire then? Because isn't she sort of similar to? She's trying to live the life of, of a, a zombie, hum- yeah. of a normie. And even you know she's supposed to be this sexy seductress maybe, but to me it was weird that Anton Yelchin's character didn't seem that into her. No, like they needed her to be a bit more. Sexy. More you wanted you wanted the like sort of sexy vampire like I was for Halloween. I wanted that. Yeah. Okay. He should have cast you. Yeah. Sexy vampire. Right. And I was more the like extra from Lost Boys. Right. It was bad. Um. What else was I going to ask you? Yeah. I don't know. We were talking about this a bit afterwards. That this movie, I guess, is so thin. Mm-hmm. It's so potentially superficial that if you were to drop in a lesser cast. What do you have, do you think? Oh, probably a disaster. Yeah, not much there. It really Mm -hmm. relies on them. I mean, they are terrific, but it's so thin. Mm -hmm. It's built on almost nothing that without these guys, I think you're done. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, we're talking about the humor. There's a great scene where there's a bit of gore, and Swinton just says, well, that was visual, and it's so funny. I don't think anyone else can pull that off. Right. She was so good. Yeah. Um, it's such a throwaway line, but right. it, it sticks with me, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, just in terms of how this thing's created, the visuals are very appealing to me. You were talking about the lighting earlier. Mm-hmm. So much is set at, at nighttime, and I think Jarmusch is a big nighttime director. Yeah. Um, you know, many of his movies are often driving around in cars, and so we get that, and Detroit looks oh, so yeah. good. Oh, yeah. I mean, right? those night drives that they took yeah. were amazing, right? It was a bit like our old our favorite night. show, Night Drive, here <laughs> in right. Toronto. Um, so good. In the in the music, a good mix of actual score, mm-hmm. listening to tunes, and seeing live music. Yeah, I found the music really a big, big part of this film. Oh, absolutely. That's what I was referencing, sort of the operatic yeah. um, atmosphere to this. And it was rough, right? It was yeah. rough music. It wasn't. Um, we weren't. They weren't sitting around listening to symphonies. No, no. Which you would think if you've been around for 500 years, maybe you're stuck on Wagner or something. Yeah, exactly. But no, they've sort of grown. But they, maybe they're yeah. stuck in the 50s a little. Yeah, maybe. They like the rockabilly kind of stuff. But it was good. And, you know, he's obviously a musician. It's very interesting that he constantly needs to get music out there. Right. I, I don't really know how to interpret any of that. So what, but his yeah, what? need to just not just compose music, but to somehow get it out. And obviously, every you know decade or so, he anonymously releases music, and that's how he connects with the world that he despises. Right, exactly. And, or is it just a monetary thing in order Maybe. to make you know to fill feed his habit? Right? But how's he, he getting paid? To, Where does that money come from? Maybe they see he's some got some things. royalties or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I know. And how does one? Yeah, get I those royalties it, if they're a recluse. If you can move that fast, you make a hell of a pickpocket. Right. <laughs> that's what I figured he was doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's us jammering. Is that a word? Sure. Jammering on about it. Let's get into sort of what they do here at the Gentleman's Guide, Make or Breaks, MVT. So the Make or Break is sort of the scene in the film that either makes you buy in or loses you, I'd say. Yeah. It's your Make or Break for Only Lovers Left Alive. 
I'm going to go with the the break, okay, which is a break. Um, the sister Ava, who is Mia. Um, like I said, she just um, wasn't consistent with the tone of the film. She, you know, really severed the film i think and right. from that point on I, I was just really irritated okay and it took me a long time to get back into it yeah i, I can get that it changed gears a lot yeah. and uh it's a disruption that i think had to happen story-wise mm-hmm. but maybe the story needed to stay more high you know high you know that kept that pace yeah i mean if like, this is an art film right. which i think it probably would be categorized as that why do you need to then sort of have that plot element? Because I don't, I think it is very thin on plot. Yeah, so then yeah. you're throwing in, all of a sudden we're going to add this plot and, and I guess expand on some of the vampire lore too, right? That right. she can implant herself in people's dreams. So that yeah. was sort of interesting, but, yeah. uh, and there was a sense of dread. Like they knew there was the impending dread you yeah. know, with her. Um, but yeah, still too abrupt. So I'm okay with them rocking the boat like that, but maybe it needs to happen a bit later in the film. Mm-hmm. Or once it's rocked, the tone needs to stay changed, but to try to come back to it, it's a very tricky thing to do. Right. I think they got there eventually, like you're saying, but it, for the viewer, it's a, it's a bit unsettling. Yeah. Um, so mine's actually a make, and it was really that initial scene where that really got me on board, sucked me in. Yeah. When Tom Hiddleston's character is dealing with his dealer, mm-hmm. his gopher, essentially, played by Anton Yelchin, and you're just learning about this guy, and every little tidbit's so interesting. Oh, he loves old guitars. Um, he wants a wooden bullet for some reason. Oh, he doesn't like people using his bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> I was just fascinated by this guy. By his little right eccentricities. There, yeah, right there, yeah. I, I got sucked in. Yeah. So I wanted to know and just hang out with... Tom Hiddleston's character. Mm-hmm. So, you, okay, your MVT, your most valuable thing for only lovers left alive. Well, since I, th- I do think in, in some ways it is a love story, yep. so I'm going to have to go with Swindon and Hiddleston's chemistry, their their relationship. They the two leads are fantastic in this movie. They yep. make the movie. Um, I mean, just even watching Tilda, the way she moves, the way she slinks around, I just. Uh, I just find her riveting. Yeah. Uh, and he is fluid. too. And they're very, um, they're almost, uh, they're just so graceful the way they're very they. pretty people. Yeah, very attractive, very pleasing. They are, yeah, I don't know. They're very similar in some ways. You could almost buy them as a brother and sister yeah, rather I'm, than a husband and yeah, wife. They, yeah, they sort of have that androgynous look and it, yeah, yeah it was just worked well. Big time. Um, my most valuable thing, um, is Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only seen him as Loki. Yeah. I thought he was just fantastic. Swinton, I know. Yeah. Like, we know her. She's awesome and everything. Hiddleston, I'd seen as sort of che- chewing up scenery Yeah, as Loki. But here right. we got to see him, to me, sign of a good actor sometimes just watching them walk around quietly. Right. Rather than just be the big bad guy. Mm-hmm. And he excels at that. Definitely. I was very, very impressed with his acting. And the other things I've I've seen him do are there. I haven't seen them, but I am aware of them. Like he, he did, uh, you know, Coriolanus on stage last year. Okay, he's done a Henry V, like really big, big stuff. Right, but he can do quiet. Yeah, which is you know that's often the sign of what I look for. It just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, before we give our scores, do you want? <laughs> sometimes on our show, 
we like to read the really bad reviews on IMDb, yeah. especially in a movie like this that oh, sort of has yeah. a film festival following and an RC following. Because when people tear it to shreds, they often do it beautifully. And they're so angry about that, right? Okay, so here are a couple of comments. Um, oh, how I longed for Professor Van Helsing to appear with stakes in hand to free me from my torment. But alas, he did not. Nice. And I think that's it. It's like you were saying with the at times you're waiting for the werewolves to show up with the full moon, but she's just really appreciating nature in that yes. scene, right? Um, the film seems to be written for Goss, who, who like a very slow, painful story with no real direction or substance. I like that. It's like imagine writing a film just exclusively for the goth population. We may not like make a lot of money, but it will be all goth money. Yeah, the goths will yeah. love it. Yeah. Because he just, he's just dressed up like the cure, as Ben Fold says, yeah, right? Yeah, I think there was another quote where they uh, referenced the cure, too. But uh, anyway, I can't find it right now. All right. Oh, here we go. Basically, I can't believe I spent such a large proportion of my life watching some sullen emo guy dressed up like a cure fan moping around just generally being pretentious. And those were some of my favorite parts of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, so the gentleman, they grade things on a scale of 1 to 10 or 0 to 10, I guess, it's right down to quarter points. How would you – what would be your score for Only Lovers Left Alive? I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Okay, 6. I'm going to go with an 8. Oh. We do. We usually – if anyone's ever listened to Married with Clickers, we often agree very, very closely. But we're yes. a bit off here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't – so th- I think after the first hour, we're probably at the same boat. Right. But Mia threw you more yeah. than she threw me. I, I'm also. I just like the fact that I actually liked the Jim Jarmusch movie a lot. <laughs> I no, so. I just was more engaged with it. I think like yep. some of these films are just. I'm not smart enough to appreciate them, or that. I think that's I'm what you're made to feel, though, yeah. and I think that's what I find a bit irritating about this film. You hate it when people make you feel. No, it's not. I just. <laughs> See, I, I found like this it's... one pretty approachable. It's oh just, no, I oh. agree. I agree, but I just think like all the literary references and stuff is just oh, yeah. a little bit pseudo for me. Yeah, it's funny because that's pseudo. But if they'd done it like, you know, with really obvious people, it would have been too tacky. Right. So I know. I don't know, what, I don't know what the balance is there. I'm not sure if you have to refer. I would rather they referenced not individuals, but maybe sort of significant historic events. Right. That's like what I would have probably preferred. In Paris during the Revolution or something. Yeah, like you that. don't need to have a Christopher Marlowe type character. Yeah, in it. yeah. Well, if I need to Wikipedia someone, it's not working. You, you knew him. I didn't. Well, there you go. You're smarter than I. So that's it. That's the gentleman's guide right here. Yeah. People uh, will uh, hopefully we, they didn't lose too many listeners. <laughs> Am I right? Yes. I have uh, no idea what they're doing next time. I did hear some sort of rumor about sort of a um, Angel Eyes made in Manhattan double bill. Oh my gosh! The, yes, but that might just I be would, a fantasy of ours. That would be brilliant with like a little bachelor discussion thrown in. Yeah. yeah. Actually, your one of our resolutions for 2015 is to go check out the boy next door next week. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our first trip to the theater will be for some J Lo trash. Uh, so that's it, really. And the way uh, the gentlemen sign off is just with an adios. So I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.